God. Take your copy. They're right there in your hand. The Word of God. Go to 1 John chapter 1, right there in the back of the, towards the back of the Bible. 1 John chapter 1. And then if you can mark that, if you had a marker in your hand or something like that, take your Bible and go to the Gospel according to John. I don't know if you can, at least in the introduction, get uh, without going to both of them. I mean, it's the same author. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. But the Gospel according to John, will be a couple other places this morning, but uh, these are the two main ones. Let me just see if I can get here. So don't forget to confess your sins today. Uh, but 1 John chapter 1, let me get set up here. I've entitled this message, if you want to take notes this morning, The Word of Life. The Word of Life. And it's right there in the first verse of John chapter, or 1 John chapter 1. So let's go ahead and just begin reading that. Uh, the Bible says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the Word of Life. For the life was manifested... And we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him. And declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. What a great passage. Uh, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross, Lord. And I know we may be few here uh, this morning in number, Lord, but I pray, Lord, that you meet with us. Lord, I know that where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst, Lord. We that means we, we started having church probably about 20 minutes ago, Lord, when you come among us uh, as we gathered together. And I know you're always with us, Lord, but there's something special about the gathering of your saints, Lord, the gathering of your children to worship you, to hear from your word, to lift up your holy son, Lord, high and lifted up. May we do that to you this morning. Lord, I pray that you meet with us in a way, Lord, that's special. Lord, in both these service, but here in this time, Lord, we know that we can't get this time back, Lord. Now help us to ignore the, uh, the things that are on the agenda for tomorrow, maybe the things that are going on in the world, Lord, and just put them off to the side. Maybe put them on the back burner on, for a moment, Lord, and let's focus 100% of our faculties on you and on the risen Christ. And Lord, and we thank you again for that. Lord, we thank you for your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So these letters here, uh, let me just let me just stop and say this. I've been praying probably all week that whatever message God gives me, that he gets a hold of it because I'm here and you see me and I, I, I get all that, you know, but I want to be as much a part of the message as possible. Uh, so ignore this. <laughs> ignore me, ignore the pulpit, ignore the world and just listen 
uh, to the Holy Spirit this morning. And I just want to point out just by way of introduction that these letters here, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, were of course written by the Apostle John uh, after the entirety of the New Testament was written, save the book of Revelation, which he also wrote. Uh, and this is the same John who wrote the gospel according to God, bearing his name, referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's also believed the youngest apostle who, who, lo- who lived the longest. Uh, probably he's, he's believed to live around 90, 95 uh, A.D., almost to the turn of the century. And there's, there's writings about those who were uh, disciples of John, like Polycarp and other people like that. And it's exciting to read their works about John. It's, it's amazing. But his gospel record, way back in, in first, uh, or the gospel according to John, you don't have to turn there yet, but we know that it was written that you might believe, that the world might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Y'all remember that there in John chapter 20, verse 31, that Jesus is the Christ, He is the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. But this epistle is a little different. Uh, it, it builds upon that. It's written in, John, in 1 John 5.13, to those who already believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. 1 John 5.13, ye may know that ye have eternal life. Now this is not to say that this epistle is not profitable to an unbeliever. For as we will see it is, and all scripture is profitable. But John's purpose is overwhelmingly, above all things, to draw believers closer to the Christ, closer to the Lord Jesus Christ by declaring who Jesus really is and pointing to them to that real fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we tread through these texts here of 1 John, we must never forget that it's written to bolster our faith. It's written to bring us into a closer walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, because faith comes by hearing, uh, all Scripture really bolsters our faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. We see that there in Romans chapter 10. All Scripture bolsters our faith in one way or another. But First John, the Apostle John, really hones in. He, 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 he comes to a point to know that we, so that we can know that we have eternal life. He comes by, uh, he talks many things about things we can know. So more than 20 times in, his, in this epistle here, he uses the word know, which is kind of, Kind of odd because he's combating, if you will, and one of the areas he's combating is, is Gnosticism. And we'll talk about here about that here a little bit more in a moment. But he, 20 times he uses the words know, as in the phrase, hereby we do know that we know him, or hereby we know that we are of the truth, and so forth and so forth. 20 times. Uh, and then, so in that, John endeavors, this is his goal, to present Jesus Christ as clearly and as boldly, as clearly and as boldly possible That Jesus is God, but at the same time, he cuts right to the chase to us, to you and me, how we should live for him, how we should live through him. Because we're either walking in the darkness or we're walking in the light. And he, no apostle more than John, talks about how we should be walking in the light versus walking in the darkness. And with that said, uh, we've already read 1 John chapter 1. So I want to continue in this introduction and say by saying that this letter is unique. It's unique. One, because it's in the Bible, but number two, because it's because of its timing near the end of the first century. Uh, And I think it's written partly to shed light on some disputes that were already among Christianity. One such dispute was an early form of Gnosticism. And that started to begin to creep into the churches there uh, in Ephesus and other places. And we will see that John clearly and vehemently opposes 
Gnosticism, and we'll see that very, we'll see it here in a moment. And just, just so we're clear, Gnosticism uh, itself, it varies in its teachings. Uh, there's there's Gnostics that hold to this view, Gnostics that hold to this view, but at the core it deals with spiritual knowledge, and as if that spiritual knowledge is what saves us. Right? It's, it's Christ who saves us. So they, they put the focus on the knowledge instead of on the Lord Jesus Christ. One is saved through such knowledge. Now, Gnosticism places an extreme emphasis on the spiritual while almost dismissing the physical. In summary, for them, very in a nutshell kind of thing, the spirit is good and the flesh is bad. Now, at first, that seems, like, that seems normal, right? That seems like something Paul would be preaching. It seems like the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is something that we would see in other places of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it, it may seem reasonable, but it is very much different. It is very much different than what the Bible teaches. And what does this have to do with John? Well, some Gnostics accept Jesus Christ as God, no doubt. But they reject that he could have been man. They reject that he could have been man. Why? Because they believe flesh is evil. There is no good in flesh, nor can it ever be in flesh. And this is something that the Apostle John disagrees with. This is something that the Lord Jesus Christ disagrees with. And this is something that we also, every, every Bible-believing Christian should have a problem with. Why should we have a problem with that? I mean, what is the main thrust of the New Testament? God became man. We wouldn't have a New Testament if God didn't become man. So if you think about it, theologically, God is a righteous God. He is a sensible God. He is a just God. There's no darkness in our God. So think, think about this. If there's no darkness in God, He cannot place the punishment of sin, man's sin, on Himself. That would be an inappropriate justice. The punishment of sin had to be upon man. It was man who sinned and not God. And it is therefore man who must pay that price. Man is flesh. So for the only way for us to escape the sin, the death, the wrath of sin and all those things, is for God to become flesh. It's for God to become flesh. Put it a different way. Put it a different way. God could not redeem what He did not become. God could not redeem what He did not become. If God did not become flesh, you and I are yet in our sins. We are yet in our sins, but he did become flesh. Praise the Lord. So while this letter may not be an apologetic per se, it wasn't written purposely or only to combat Gnosticism. John does make some truths abundantly clear here. He makes some things abundantly clear. And in true fashion, in true John fashion, if you will, he begins at the beginning. And he likes that word beginning. Uh, he began there and he began with the word of life. He began... With Jesus Christ. Look at those first three, three verses again. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard. Declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now think about the author here again, as we, before we kind of get into our outline here. Think about the Apostle John. What did the Apostle John say? Was he at the baptism? Was he at Jesus' baptism? He was. He was. Was he had, did he record maybe uh, the miracle of the water and turn it into wine? 
Was he there when Lazarus came out of the grave? Was he there at the cross when Christ was crucified? What other apostle was there? Only John. Only John. So he was there. Who was there? Did he see the empty tomb? He did. Him and Peter, right? Remember him running to? He saw the empty tomb. Did he see the risen Christ? He saw it all. And this is our apostle here. He's telling us that he, everything about God is, is true. Jesus is. That's great. So I, mean, I love this passage. So he's, he declares to us the word of life because he knows it. He knows the word of life. So number one, we're going to talk about the life of God. The life of God. And this, and as I was struggling through, really struggling is the right word, through a right outline here, not because I had to alliterate, Brother Tyler, but I was just looking for a right outline here. I, I'm really not 100% comfortable with the outline that I have here, but I think we're going to preach it. And, well, I am going to preach it. I'm going to give God the glory. But the life of God, three times John uses the word life, uh, just in these few verses here. He uses it once in verse 1 and twice in verse 2. We see phrases like the word of life, that life was manifested. And we see eternal life. So the Greek term for word, not surprisingly, is logos, right? Not surprisingly that John would use that. It's used by John many times to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he's the only apostle that it's used to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. So turn with me. Uh, keep your finger there. Go back to the gospel according to John. The Gospel according to John, and look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. This is probably one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, I don't know about you, but these four verses... Of this gospel according to make it pretty abundantly clear to me. I mean, the word is God, the word is eternal, all things were made by that word, and John calls him the word of life. Who could this be? We know this, look down at verse number 14 of John chapter 1. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John is making an indisputable statement that the life of God is manifested in Jesus Christ. In no other, it's in Jesus Christ. John is saying that those who deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh are liars. Go back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, We have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, our hands have handled the Word of God. John witnessed the life of God in the flesh of man. The life of God in the flesh of man. Listen, folks, this is extremely important. Very few things that we preach about are as important as believing that Jesus is God. It separates the sheep from the goats on the deity of Christ. Who is Jesus to you? Who is He? Is He all God? And is he all man? You know, there are hundreds of faiths from, from Mormonism to Catholicism. You can go on and on down the list. Even some Baptists. You can go on and on down the list under this group or this umbrella, if you will, of Christianity. But you can narrow them all down to a fine line on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He's all God and he's all man. I love the phrase from H.A. Ironside. I probably say it a lot, but he's as much God as if he were never man. And he's as much man as if he were never God. He's all God and all man. And it surprises me that there are some today who say that the Bible never teaches that Jesus was God in the flesh. You ever heard that before? They say that. But in John 10, 30, Jesus himself says, I and my father are one. 
I don't know how they get around that. And we've already read John 1, 1 through 3. But Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 states that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person. He's the brightness of God the Father's glory, and He is the image of God's person. And back in John's gospel, of the gospel according to John, look at verse 18. The Bible says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So from creation to the conclusion of all things, the only God man has ever seen is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He hath declared Him. And John writes back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, that that life was manifested. What kind of life was manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ? Eternal life. Eternal life. The same life that was in the Father. The same life that was in the Father. Look at that verse. Verse 2. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father. The life that's in the Father is the same life that is in the Son. All God in Jesus Christ. Jesus is life. He is not just the author of life. He is life. He didn't, He's the author of our life, but His life is ever. It's no beginning, no end. It is eternal. And what John is ultimately trying to get across, I believe, is that the Jesus of Nazareth, the same Jesus who made the lame to walk, the same Jesus who made or caused the blind to see, the same Jesus who was crucified and walked out of that grave three days later, that man, Jesus Christ, the very Son of the living God, of the living God, is all God and all man. He is in every aspect God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Never move from that. In fact, notice 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse number 20. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true. Even His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God. And eternal life. Jesus is the true God and eternal life. Jesus becoming flesh is the most spectacular thing to have ever happened to humanity. Not, nothing comes in comparison to that. And then look at verse number 3 back in 1 John chapter 1. It says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. It's important that we recognize that Christ became, or God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, because through God, through God the Son, we can have fellowship with God the Father. Paul kind of put it this way, we put off our mortality and put on immortality. That comes along with the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And practically speaking, this, this shouldn't just leave us awestruck. It should strike us. It should like, wow. It should be the greatest wow moment in our life that God became man. But it should also motivate us to declare to the world, as John declares to us, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That is our most important message it is by far our most important message. Never move from the fact that Jesus became, uh, or God became man in Jesus Christ. Why do we tell them? So they too may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 
I know it's early in the morning. I get it. It's nine o'clock. We're not getting used to this. It's I understand. All. I, I enjoyed the, you know, from around five or six on a Sunday morning all the way to my 11 o'clock in the morning. That, that was a great time. I spent many hours with the Lord. Those times are gone. Maybe maybe we'll bring them back in December. Who knows? But the greatest commonality that you and I can have. The greatest commonality that you and I can have with anybody else is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. And the only way to receive that commonality is to receive him. Remember, John is writing to believers, to believers. So to be clear, there is no fellowship with God without a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no fellowship with God without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is a significant conclusion because any system of beliefs, no matter how loving, doesn't matter how much they give to charity, no matter how many burn centers they got, by what name they call God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There is no coming to the true God without Jesus Christ. And there's no coming to Christ without acknowledging that He is the true God. See, it all comes together. You must recognize that God is in Jesus Christ. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no hope outside of Christ. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but, my, but by me. Is he real? Is he real to you? He became our sin. He paid the debt you incurred. He paid the debt that we incurred. And it required the cross to pay it. And when he gave up the ghost on that cross, when he was hanging up there and he said, it is finished. Eternal life succumbed to an earthly death. That should hit us all right, right in the middle. Jesus paid it all. Trust him with your everything. You're all, all of you. Give it all to him. John says that he is as real as the person sitting next to you. John said he felt him, he touched him, he, he had conversations with him. He heard him, he saw him, he touched him. The word of life became the flesh of man. But not only is Jesus the life of God, he is also the light of God. The light of God. Look at verses 5 through 7 again. It says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have no fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light and see is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Jesus is the light. Remember John's, remember John's gospel, the, the gospel according to John right there in verse number one. Let's go back there again. And I want you to notice verses four through nine in the gospel according to John. I'm going to keep going back here. I hope us stay awake this morning. But look at verse number four. The gospel according to John, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Uh, that's John the Baptist, by the way. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, Jesus Christ, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Jesus is the light sent by the Father 
to light every man that comes into the world. Now take your Bible and go a little bit further in the Gospel of John to chapter 8. Y'all remember chapter 8? That's what the, the woman caught in adultery. And they go grab her and they throw her out in the midst of, uh, of the crowd and right there in front of Jesus. But in verse 12, after he deals with that, and in my mind... Uh, as I studied that out, if y'all remember, we went through John. The, it's early in the morning. Jesus just came down from the Mount of Olives, I think it was. Yep, Mount of Olives right there in verse number one. So he comes down. The sun is coming up. The woman is there. Only a few people left. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world as the sun is coming up in the sky. So not that. That's just the sun. I'm the real light. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me, in verse 12, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John states, really, really clarifies that statement, an obvious true fact of true light, in Him is no darkness. In Jesus Christ is no darkness. In Him is no darkness at all. In other words, this is significant. We cannot attribute evil to God because He is light. There is no evil in God. And I realize that one of the obstacles preventing some people today from believing in God is the presence of evil in this world. They say this, if there is a God, He is not all-powerful because of the presence of evil. And if He is all-powerful, then He condones evil. Their conclusion, there is no God. But the Bible states in Psalm 14:1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And John states here that in him, in God, in Jesus Christ is no darkness at all. So where does sin come from? John 1:8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Isn't that unique? We come to a conclusion as man, not just us in here, but generally speaking, well, there's sin in the world, there's evil in the world, so there cannot be a God. We're almost saying that I'm, what about, what about the introspect? What about looking inside? And do I have sin? It couldn't possibly be my fault. All this wickedness in the world, it's got to be God's fault. There's no way it's my fault. I didn't speed today. I didn't, I didn't drink and drive today. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't, do, I didn't do any of these things. It can't possibly be my fault. Fault, But the Bible says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He put it a different way. And very clearly, we have sin. God does not. We have the propensity to walk in darkness. God is light and in him is no darkness. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. You remember going through James at the beginning of this uh, of this year. Uh, a great phenomenal book. We spent two months in the book of James. But I want you to look at James chapter 1, verses 13. I'm going to read down a few verses. The Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. The implication there is neither tempteth he any man with evil. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err. Make no mistake, James is saying, every good gift and every perfect gift, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of light. Get this last two phrases. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. No variableness, neither shadow of turning. God does not change, nor does He cast any shadows in His movement. 
In other words, if some evil originated with God, that evil would, call, would cause a shadow from God. Right? So if, there's, if this is the center of God and there's some evil that goes out from God, that evil would cast a shadow from God. But he doesn't cast any shadows. He's all good. There's no darkness in him. No darkness in him. God is light. God is light. And to keep us on track, remember John is putting an emphasis on Jesus Christ being equal with the Father. So Jesus is that light. John is writing to all the world, for us believers as well, for all the world to see rather, that Jesus is God in the flesh. If Jesus wasn't God, think about this. If Jesus, wasn't, if Jesus was not God, then who did the angels proclaim at the birth? Why did they come from heaven to say, who did they proclaim? And if he wasn't human, who did Mary lay in the, in the manger on that cold, dark night? If he wasn't man, who cried when Lazarus died? Who was that that shed a tear or two on the loss of a friend? And if he wasn't God, who called Lazarus to come out of that grave? If he wasn't man, who did they crucify on that old rugged cross? And if he wasn't God, who walked out of the grave? You see, God is manifested in the flesh, and his name is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2, uh, 1, 2 says that Jesus is the brightness of his glory. He is the light of God. Our clear takeaway is that Jesus is the light of the world. He is who he says he is. God says he says he is. He's true. We must accept that. And just like eternal life succumbed to an earthly death on the cross, the eternal light was enclosed in a dark tomb for the sins of the world. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 states that he hath made him to be sin for us. He became our sin. I can't get around that verse. I hope it just resonates with you and you never get over the fact that God became our sin. Look, the light shined in darkness. The darkness comprehended it not, so he became the darkness. He took it upon himself. It's like the eternal light of the world flickered. You see, when I was putting this together, I come to the conclusion that our sin hurts God. It hurts him. While we might not think much about our little white lies and our wandering thoughts, but God loves us. And because God loves us, those sins, our sins, your sin, my sin, made the cross necessary. We put him on that cross. Our sin hurt God. The creation of the world hurt the creator of the world. And we're just okay with it sometimes. Those sins, our sins, brought darkness into the light of the world. Our sins brought an earthly death to an eternal life. And here is where our sermon gets a little more practical this morning. Look at 1 John again. I want you to look at verse number 6. If we say that we have no fellowship, if we say we have fellowship with Him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful 
and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So Jesus, as the manifestation of life, as the manifestation of light, did not leave the glories of heaven to endure Calvary just for a good story. No, his death, his burial and resurrection were to bring glory to God the Father through the salvation of our souls. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the first step in pleasing God. If there is even a spark of interest in you to accept Christ, move with it, run with it, accept it. Allow God to do a work in you. Don't let the doubts and confusion of this world keep you from eternal life. Eternal life. You know, when I think about God becoming a man, I think about my sins being forgiven. I think about the righteousness, my wickedness being placed on him and his righteousness being placed upon me. And I have eternal life. This mortal becomes immortal in heaven to live forever with God. If I could do a backflip, I would do a backflip right now. I mean, do we not get excited about that? Or we just, God became man. Isn't it great? I feel like Eeyore sometimes when Christians are just walking through life. Yes, God became man. I'm so happy. We who are believers, we who have already have a relationship with Christ, should be the most excited people on this planet. How bright is the light in you? How bright is the light of the world in you? How's your fellowship? You see, both of these aspects, whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, both of these aspects, both of these approaches to God fall under the same heading in our outline this morning, which is the love of God. The love of God. We have a relationship with God because God loves us. There's no other way around it. God loves us. And we've talked about the life of God. We talked about the light of God. And granted, John writes much about the love of God in 1 John, and we will definitely revisit the love of God throughout this month. It's probably the theme of 1 John. But for now, for unbelievers and believers alike, God loves you. And this passage that we read, verses 8, 9, and 10, is applicable to both of us. It's applicable to the lost. And it's applicable to those who are saved. And by the way, there's no difference between the lost and the saved other than we've accepted the payment that God's made for us on the cross. So if you're without Christ and you say you have no sin, verse 8 says that you're deceiving yourself. And verse 10 says you're calling God a liar. If you're in Christ, if you're a believer this morning and you say you have no sin, verse 8 says that you're deceiving yourself and verse 10 says that you're calling God a liar. Right? It's the same thing. How dare we call God a liar? I mean, you think about that, and somebody asks you sometimes, I've, I've been asked before, how's your walk with the Lord? That should make us contemplate. That should make us, hold on, let me think about this for a moment. Because if I say I'm good, we call God a liar, potentially, if we're not right. And by the way, we can't go very long without staying right. We need to, as a different pastor I, I heard uh, preach, keep a short list with God. You know, we shouldn't go, I don't know how to keep number or keep track of these things, but maybe three or four sins before we're like, Lord, I need forgiveness. You know, Paul says he died daily. I mean, we're no Apostle Paul. Maybe we should die by the minute. I don't know. We need to keep a short list. When somebody asks us, how's our relationship with God? We must make sure that we have no known 
unrepentant sin. Because if we say that we're good and we have known unrepentant sin, we are calling God a liar. That's dangerous. That's extremely dangerous. But notice that both of these bring us into a relationship. For the unbeliever, these passages here are a personal invitation into the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He says, come unto me. For the believer, it's a personal invitation into a deeper fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Both of these are incumbent upon our personal confession of sin to God. And since the majority of us here this morning profess to be saved, again, how is your fellowship with God? Listen, for believers, I'm not talking about your position in Christ. If you're in the family of God, you know you're in the family of God. You're as righteous today as the day you were saved, and you'll be as righteous tomorrow as you are today. Not because of us, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He made us righteous. That's an unbreakable relationship. Fellowship, however, is based upon how our behavior matches our beliefs. Sin separates us from God. We cannot have fellowship with God if we're arguing with God. How is your, not your relationship, but how is your fellowship with your wife or your husband when you're arguing? It's not all that great, is it? So how can we say the same thing with God? I have great fellowship with God. Are you arguing with him? Well, let's just let's define arguing there for a little bit. Are you harboring any sin? Are you saying, Lord, I'll, I'll repent about that here in a moment? That's arguing with God. Because he's already laid it on your heart to repent it, and you're just holding on to it. I'm there. I do it often, unfortunately. We cannot have a right fellowship with God when we are content with sin. We cannot have fellowship with God if we're not right with others. So again, how is your fellowship with God? Right this very moment, how is your fellowship with God? And before you answer, before you answer that God in your mind, or that question before God and in your mind, notice verse 6 again. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. We lie. In other words, fellowship is the difference between walking in the light and walking in the darkness. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. And we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Fellowship with God is the difference between walking in the light and walking in the darkness. I fear too many times as Christians, those who know the Bible, us here today, we believe, 1 John 5, 13, that we have an eternal life. We can't lose that salvation. And we live flippantly because we know we can't lose it. My wife, kidding around one time, told me, she's like, after she was saved, now we were, we were married a few years before she was saved, and uh, she got saved, and she prayed for me, and I got started to get right with the Lord. Her, I'm here a lot because of her prayers. I mean, God put me here. I believe all that. But God used that woman greatly in my life. But she made a comment one time, and she said, um, you know, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. The Bible talks about, you know, marriage, like, you know, what God put together, no man take apart. I won't trip over that. <laughs> so you can't leave me. <laughs> she says to me, you can't leave me. You have a promise to God. You have a promise to me, but your promise to God is greater than, my, than your promise to me. She's right. She is absolutely right. So I think about that. Does that make us live in a way? Do I live in a way to her? Or does she live in a way to me that just takes that for granted? 
unfortunately sometimes, right? We're human. But it should not be the norm. And it should not be the norm with our, with our Heavenly Father, with our Savior. We have a permanent, unbreakable relationship with Him. And that itself should be the greatest motivator to maintain perfect fellowship with our God, with our Lord Jesus Christ. Where are you walking this morning? How is your walk? And as we kind of come to a close here, look at verse number five of chapter two. First John chapter two, verse five. The Bible says, whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So how do we know that we are walking in the light? Keep his word. Keeping his word. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk. He didn't end there. Look, even as he walked, as Jesus walked. That's a tall order. And we can do it with his help. Have you received eternal life this morning? Do you know the light of the world? Are you walking in that light? And has the love of God perfected you? Let's pray.